visit us at facebook.com slash securefreedom with Frank Gaffney. We're back. We are joined by one of our favorite regulars here at Secure Freedom Radio. His name is Robert Charles. Among many accomplishments and credentials he brings to our conversations is that of a former Assistant Secretary of State during the George W. Bush administration. He also served in the White House under Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush as a counsel. He has been a naval officer with an intelligence background. He has been an author. He is uh, these days a fabulous commentator and analyst, notably serving as a spokesman for the terrific organization, the Association of Mature American Citizens. And uh, you can follow his great work there at amac.us. Bobby Charles, it's good to have you back on board. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Frank. Always good to be with you. You have an extensive background. I didn't do justice to your time on Capitol Hill, which included a stint for, I believe, five years with the Oversight Committee in the House running, among other things, investigations into wrongdoing within federal agencies uh, of the government. And I'd like to ask you about this investigation that's now underway. Um, Now, for shorthand, we're calling it the uh, January 6th investigation. Um, As we speak, uh, before this program airs, the Congress, the House of Representatives specifically, is uh, supposed to act on a resolution to hold a dear friend of mine, I think perhaps yours, Steve Bannon, in criminal contempt for having declined to submit himself to this, well, inquisition it seems, uh, now underway. Talk a little bit about what's going on, this political persecution, I think you called it, uh, at AMAC, uh, in this particular instance, if you care to, and, and sort of more generally, uh, as a, a guy who's used to do this sort of thing for a living. Yeah, so uh, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I, uh, I ran the largest part of the oversight committee in the House uh, for five years. And uh, the purpose, I, perhaps it's worth reminding people, the, uh, there is a, uh, a, co- a constitutional prerogative. It's, it's an implied power. Uh, within the uh, Congress, within the powers that belong to the Congress to do oversight of the executive branch. But the purpose of that power uh, is clearly by Supreme Court precedent and by the precedent used in the House is not for political persecution. The the purpose is to find mis mal and nonfeasance or to find waste, fraud and abuse to go into the executive branch and to keep the executive branch accountable for the expenditure of federal dollars. That's the primary overriding reason for uh, having an oversight committee. And so, for example, I mean, I, I won't even give examples, but there are there are hundreds, actually thousands of examples of what oversight is really about. Now, what you are witnessing here is wrongheaded for a number of reasons. And, and, and the sad part is that, you know, like a 10 minute impeachment, you can see clearly that there's a political motivation behind what's happening. Uh, you know, it's political uh, warfare is, is what it is. Well, it, stop, right? well, it is. And uh, yes. And, and so here's the deal. I had subpoena power. We had subpoena power. But uh, you don't issue a subpoena 
for a political reason. And congressional subpoenas are different from judicial subpoenas. A judicial subpoena has the neutrality of the court, no no spark or no uh, no hint of, of partisanship to it. A congressional subpoena is already suspect uh, the minute it gets issued for potential partisan uh, motivations. Now, it doesn't mean that it can't issue. It just means that you need to understand when you're responding to it that you have other bases for resisting it. So the second thing I, I want to say, so, so to my view, this is a misuse. This is a this is a use of the of the subpoena power to uh, essentially push a political agenda, not to correct some mismal or nonfeasance by the executive branch in one of the agencies or departments. It's a misuse of the subpoena power. The second thing is that th- that the way the subpoena was issued, it 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 is. I mean, I guess I the entire notion that you're going to go back and and make a public show trial out of a review of that event, and then you're going to try to cause people who were advisors to the president to come in and to testify is essentially again, uh, again, I'll just use the word political show trial. To me, it it leaves you with the impression that the point of all this is not to get to truth seeking. Truth seeking, it seems to me, you've got several. Uh, organizations already afoot doing this in the Justice Department. You've had all kinds of public inquiry. You got tape from one end to the other. You don't need another political show trial here. So the re- the reality here is that this looks like political punishment. And the last point I'm just going to make is that it is not. This is something you see in third world countries. This is not something you see in the United States. You don't see one political party, and particularly a president of the United States, a president of the United States, arguing for criminal prosecution. We don't criminally prosecute congressional subpoenas. I'm Unless there's a criminal act, we don't do that. We just don't do that in this country. And so, you know, the notion that you're going to abuse the institutions of the country in order to uh, in order to uh, wring political vengeance from the process. That's not what we do here, but that it does appear to be what's what's happening. That is, that is what we're doing here. Uh, not we necessarily, but uh, but some on Capitol Hill on the Democratic side of the aisle, it must be said in the House. Um Bobby, let me switch gears slightly. Uh, I, I hope Steve Bannon will be okay in all of this and uh, and that they will not succeed in what I must tell you, I really believe is the ulterior political warfare motive here, which is shutting down his incredibly powerful war room pandemic podcast television program and uh, multimedia phenomenon, really. And uh, that most especially must not be allowed to happen as far as I'm concerned. I'm appear on it with some regularity and prize it as a very, very important platform for educating the American people about the sorts of things we're talking about here um, and Secure Freedom well, you know, Radio that, with you and others, Bobby. You know, to that point, Frank, that's another variable that ought to be considered here. And that is that we were always sensitive to any First Amendment incursion that might result from anything we were doing. I mean, the constitutional rights, Trump, uh, they, they, they override any idea that you're going to do something that could you know, impair them, but nominally influence some other policy action. So you have to be attentive. And this is what the United States Supreme Court says. You have to be attentive to those constitutional amendments. Switching gears slightly, um, you have a very important piece at AMAC.us, uh, Robert Charles, about unconstitutional overreach by the executive branch in connection with these vaccine mandates. And I just want to remind our audience that uh, our Stop Vaccine Passports Task Force um, convened a webinar on this subject of how the vaccine mandates 
are not only overreaching and not only damaging to the society writ large, but they're having a catastrophic effect on our national security as well. So talk a little bit about the the unconstitutionality piece of this, Bobby, but also about what the repercussions are of what's happening as a result of this unconstitutional edict by Joe Biden. Yeah. So to both of those points, uh, let, let me say first what, what I did. So this is less about the vaccine per se than about the use of executive power. And what I did is, you know, I think this washes over everyone listening. There, there's a growing understanding and a growing, very unsettling realization that sort of hit me that this administration is pushing the envelope constitutionally in every single category you can imagine. What they're trying to do is aggregate enormous amounts of power to the federal government, and they're misusing laws and historic uh, uh Supreme Court precedent. They're, they're ignoring Supreme Court precedent, actually, in order to do that. So let me hit you with a couple of them. I mean, the vaccine mandate, which essentially is pushing small businesses or actually all businesses into a position where they have to uh, confront the OSHA reg, reg will probably issue if it hasn't already, that essentially puts them in a position where they violate the law if they don't uh, if they don't effectively violate the the uh, constitutional prerogatives under the First Amendment of their employees. And so, you know, the grand effect is that you're slowing down and you're retarding the the, the, the economy and you're, you're really ticking people off because they have this right and they don't want to necessarily be subject to OSHA regulation because they didn't get a vaccine. But the bigger issue is that it's a complete violation of the anti-commandeering laws of the Supreme Court. In other words, there is a supremacy clause and there is a commerce clause in the Constitution that allows the federal government to assert under certain uh, under certain limitations uh, rights over the states, but states' rights and the rights that belong to the people. Just reread the Tenth Amendment. All rights not articulated as federal belong to the states, quote, and the people. Okay, those rights actually include or or comp or or. Uh, uh, necessarily also include the constitutional rights provided in the bill of in the entire bill of rights and so what's happened here is that the, the federal government is ignoring anti-commandeering laws and is moving in to essentially uh, assert uh, un, in my view, unconstitutional federal power. But it's not just there. Look at the way they're using this, the Justice Department to, to and, and uh, domestic terrorism laws to go after parents who voice their their free speech rights at a school board, particularly saying they don't like CRT or they don't they want their children protected because of uh, an assault in the in the in the restrooms potentially. Or they, these are or mask mandates. Are typically, mask mandates. So school boards typically are run. Uh, locally, but on the coasts in particular and in big cities, they tend to be run by the teachers unions. Uh, and so there's reason for parents to be able to step up and they should be able. It's sort of a Norman Rockwell right to say, look, I don't want, I, I educate my children. This guy in running for Democrat governor in Virginia is just wrong. Parents have the paramount authority over their children, not the government. And so that's the second big over, you know, that's the second big overreach. But there's a whole series of these overreach. There's overreach into the military. There's overreach into the community's on, you name a any area where the uh, where the equities of the individual and the family and the town are, are high, and you can see that from tax policy to socialist legislation to executive orders, they are trying, including the Second Amendment, they are trying to issue orders that 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 gradually aggregate power to the federal government. That is not what the Constitution or anybody from our old boss Ronald Reagan to common sense Americans want.
it's a Marxist revolution that we're getting here, the fundamental transformation of America along, I think, not just socialist lines, Bobby, in my view, but uh, truly communist, Marxist, uh, whatever you want to call it. But it's it's uh, it's high octane stuff and it is transforming America. Right. Yeah, before well, you know, our eyes. you and I both know and it's worth a longer conversation someday. But you and I both know Frank, that, that, that the distinction between socialism and communism is misunderstood and it shouldn't be. Once you tip a seesaw in one direction, putting a boulder down at that end, which is government power, it just it just aggregates more and more power to itself. There is not a country in the world uh, that was communist that wasn't socialist first. Right. And, and, well, and that's the direct. Um, Bobby, let me turn in our closing couple of minutes with you to um, an issue of patriotism. Uh, you wrote a very moving piece, I have to say, uh, at AMAC about uh, the love of our flag. And I guess conversely, the hatred of our flag that an awful lot of Americans seem to be exhibiting these days. And this isn't just about burning it or stepping on it or in other ways disrespecting it. This is about reviling it as a symbol of a country that is also now uh, widely disdained, in part because of you know the teachers' unions and the CRT, you know, communist racist training or anti-American training, at least, uh, that has been baked into uh, our pedagogy for, you know, a generation or two, unfortunately. But talk about not only that, but also a man who exemplified love of country, service under that flag, and who also, I think, while I had my disagreements with him, um, treasured my friendship with him back in the Reagan administration, Colin Powell, who is no longer with us, um, and and what he would have made of this kind of contempt for the United States of America as an exemplar of a man who personals his personal story is you know is absolutely uh, irrefutable proof of the lie we're being fed, that this is a systemically racist nation instead of a land of great opportunity. Well, uh, Frank, I, I first of all, I couldn't have said better everything that you just said. Um, having worked with Colin Powell, you know, sat with him nonstop for 450 days together, never mind in prior time knowing everything that he contributed to the country when I was in the military. Uh, you know, I was I was assistant secretary of state managing things in Iraq and Afghanistan. And this man was um, truly one of the most incisive, compassionate, thoughtful and, um, and and wise leaders I've ever encountered. He always took care of his people. That was I don't care what your politics are. That's what leadership is about. Integrity and taking care of your people. We can disagree using our wonderful First Amendment on who we think should be doing this and that. But the reality is he lived the American dream. He was the American dream. He he worked. He uh, took advantage of every opportunity. He shared what he what he all this wisdom that he learned. He shared it with others. He he was always there. I mean, I, 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 I cannot tell you the number of stories that I, I, I mean, this is a man who deeply cared about 
not only the people he worked with, but the country. And because he cared about the country, he cared about the people. And because he uh, cared about the country, he gave his entire life, 35 years in the United States military, two tours in Vietnam, wounded back, a national security advisor to Ronald Reagan, helped bring down the Soviet Union when you were there, uh, later uh, set up a, 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 a really remarkable organization trying to save teenagers from, uh, give them hope, give them opportunity, give them the kind of chances he had called America's Promise after 10 years, then coming back to be, I mean, he was also chairman of the Joint Chiefs before that, which is the, the highest ranking officer in the country for George H.W. Bush and, and made some really sage decisions in that role. Uh, a national security expert of the First Order who then deployed as a Secretary of State did some other remarkable things. So, you, you know, and, and also was extraordinarily, um, I will just say, peaceful in the sense that he took nothing personally. It didn't really matter. And so then it would, it's anti- what we're seeing today in American politics is the antithesis, the opposite of Colin Powell. What we're seeing is division, take everything personally, hate the country, don't do service, don't sacrifice. But this is not what he was. He His life was all about the idea that you honor all those that lie at Arlington by serving with every ounce of your energy, even when it's late at night, even when it calls on you to do something you didn't think you would have to do. And also having the patience, uh, the kind of patience that we, you know, that we, that we read about occurred at the Constitutional Convention, where people did not uh, attack each other for changing their mind. They wanted the pursuit of truth, particularly in defining the Ten Amendment that we call our Bill of Rights. So, you know, the flag, if you go to amac.us, you will see this piece. It is not a trite piece. It is a piece about, and it doesn't relate specifically to Colin Powell, though he personifies love of country. It is a piece that that says there is a genuine hard, rock hard reason why we re- why we respect the flag. And and from that, by the way, uh, we should divine or derive the idea that we need to respect each other and educate those of us who do respect and love the flag for what it stands for, need to educate those who question or attack that. And this actually is an article about con- convincing an Amer- a, a liberal friend of mine that uh, there is such depth to what that flag stands for, that it should quiet you to silence and then cause you to put your hand on your heart or to salute and understand that what you're really saluting is a tremendous amount of sacrifice that came before in the name of freedom and equality. Bobby, we have to leave it at that. Thank you for that moving testimonial and uh, for your service to our country, both that that uh, you've rendered in the past, that you're rendering these days at the Charles Group, and of course, at the Association of for mature American citizens. We'll talk with you again soon. I hope we'll talk with the rest of you again tomorrow. Same time, same station. Until then, this is Frank Afney. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney. 